Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season to all of you this Thursday, January the 27th, as God's light in Christ shines on us from Matthew chapter 13. We've talked about this quite a bit, that the main theme from the beginning to end of the, the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is God's kingdom has come, that Christ's reign has come, Christ, Christ is reigning, and Christ is coming, God's reign is coming again in Christ. And all of that comes together today when we go back to the basics. Jesus teaches a parable, and we're going to ask those basic questions. What is a parable? What is the purpose? What is the seed? Who is a sower? What does it mean for us? Like I said, it all brings us back to the kingdom of God and points us ultimately to Christ and him crucified. As we hear these words today, we humbly come before the text. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Joining us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back Pastor Bob Hiller of Community Lutheran Church in Escondido and San Marcos, California. Pastor Hiller, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It is great to be with you, Brady, Pastor Finner, and thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pastor, it's, uh, it's been a little while since you've been on, so what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Community Lutheran? Oh, we're just... Uh... Plugging along out here in uh, sunny Southern California. I don't know what your weather is like uh, today, Pastor Finner, <laughs> but I think it's about 68. So it's a little it's a little cold here for us today with the sun out, but uh, we're doing we're doing great. Uh, we have two campuses, one in Escondido, one in San Marcos. I serve alongside my brother, Pastor Matt Knauss, in the ministry and um, reaching out to this community out here, trying to give them Jesus. It's great. Well, Pastor, that, you know, it's funny. There's some pastors who just can't help themselves to talk about weather when we get on. So, yes, it is negative 10 here today. So thank you for that reminder as I sit here in my office today. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Is that a joke or do you actually get down to negative 10? That sounds it's a. I tell you what, it is real. It is real. It is uh, in the flesh. And in the heart, I'll say this, I'll say this, that the hardest part is not when you're in your car, the hardest part is not even when you go outside, it's when you get somewhere, your car's outside, you go inside, it's nice and warm, then you gotta go back outside to that car that's really, really cold. So that's yeah. the worst part. Maybe, maybe that's, I don't know. But anyways, that's the worst part. So yes. But the thing, get this. Yeah, up. that sounds awful. Yeah, it's I mean, bad. Sometimes like that's, we have similar things here. Like sometimes I have to get a jacket. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we, we persevere. This is why we're very calm. I uh, I should have prepared a few Minnesota quotes for us today because I got my book, How to Talk Minnesotan, but it truly is a thing <laughs> that we uh, we just are calm because you know what? It's a long winter and we're patient and uh, we're, don't get too excited because tomorrow might be negative 10. So here's where we are. <laughs> Anyways, Pastor, we, but we are here to study the scriptures. Pastor, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessings in prayer? All right, let's begin with the prayer. Almighty God, we give you great thanks for the gift of your word, and we give you thanks for this parable, uh, Lord, of the sower and the seed, and Lord, the gift of the parables, uh, wherein we come to understand better uh, the kingdom of God. We ask you now, Lord, to grant us your Holy Spirit, that he might guide us through this text so that we would both learn it and trust it. In 
Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions for us today about our study or any parts of Matthew, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, we're going to begin uh, from the English Standard Version of Matthew chapter 13, and today we'll be covering the first 17 verses. I'll be reading the first 17 verses when it talks about parables, and then we'll come back and ask a few very simple but important questions. So we begin. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out from the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came out and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them... It has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he will be, has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is our text today. Pastor, we use this word a lot, and we will be throughout this whole chapter of chapter 13, parable. Tell us, what is a parable? Well, it's, it's a pretty important question, actually, because you come to the, the scriptures and you see this form of teaching taking place uh, both in the New Testament and, and in the Old Testament. There's some pretty significant parables there. Um, trying to process this out well for myself, a pretty easy definition, I think, is something along these lines. A parable is sort of a, a metaphor, but really like an extended merit metaphor in a story form, uh, where the preacher aims to do one of two things, the person delivering the parable, specifically in our case today, Jesus, I think, aims to do one of two things. Uh, he's either going to be describing the kingdom of God or he's going to be uh, proclaiming how somebody's life ought to be lived in, in light of the arrival of the kingdom, uh, how uh, the coming of Jesus actually should change the way you live in the world. So um, uh, Jim Phelps, in his wonderful little book called What Does This Mean, says these are, you can kind of categorize the parables in this way. You have kingdom of God parables, what God is up to, and you have uh, uh, piety parables how we ought to respond 
to the coming of the kingdom. Uh, now, he will admit, and, and I think this is fair, that that's an awfully clean distinction. Uh, I mean, obviously, the kingdom of God parables are going to impact the way you live, and, and the piety parables result always from the kingdom of God. And, and it's not like it's just these neat and easy categories like Jesus says, now I'm going to teach you this kind of parable. Nonetheless, for our purposes, it's very helpful for us to think like, okay, uh, uh, Jesus is giving us this extended metaphor, and he either wants to show us what he's up to, or he wants to show us how we should respond to what he's up to. And that's kind of what the parables are and what they do. And maybe I didn't hear this. How would you define this parable? More of a piety parable or a kingdom parable? That's great. I, that's excellent. I did not say that. Oh, I think okay. that this parable uh, should be considered a kingdom parable. And in fact, what this parable that we have today is very interesting. Today, Jesus is showing us sort of, I'm going to describe to you how I've come onto the scene and the nature of the response. So it will evoke a certain kind of response to us as the hearers, but really all he's doing is describing his ministry up to this point and describing the variety of reactions uh, that have come about as a result of his ministry. And what one thing I want to make sure our listeners understand today too is how I separated these verses is a little bit clunky. So today we're just going through verse 17. And when you start thinking, oh, well, that's good. Um, so we'll figure it all out. And all of a sudden you get to verse 18 and Jesus is like, all right, here's the meaning of the parable of the sower. So we will be touching on that today because as I told Pastor Hiller before our program is, we probably want Jesus's um, definition of this parable instead of <laughs> him and mine. So just so you know that we will be covering that today along with our program tomorrow where we will be covering it as well. So just be patient with us. We're not, I'm not losing it. Um, it was a little clunky to try to lay those out. So today also I wanna bring this tension a little bit too, Pastor, and we'll talk about it later, is this reality of, when Jesus starts talking about the purpose of the parables in verses 10 through 17, that, that, that we're going to need to spend some time on that because I felt like I, I've read it many times and I read it again this time. I'm like, I think I know what he's saying, but it's not like clear cut as, as we wish. Any reflections on that when he starts talking about the purpose? Yeah, uh, it's, if we can answer that in almost a parabolic way, uh, Jesus is saying, I teach parables uh, to separate the sheep from the goat. Uh, there are those who have been given uh, the right understanding of the kingdom of God, and to them, we, for them, the parables are a great gift to rejoice in and to learn more about God's kingdom. But for those who don't hear and don't believe, uh, well, the parables come and really kind of function as a form of judgment uh, upon them. Um, this is this is a very strange passage uh, here, uh, where he says something like this, which we just can't really wrap our minds around. Do we want to get, can I just ask real quickly, Please. do you want to do 10 through 17 right now and then we'll go back to the sower? You know what? I think the Holy Spirit has led us. Let's do it. Let's start with that. Okay. Let's start with 10 through 17. All right. I like it. So, uh, so what's interesting here is that the disciples ask, they start by asking the question that we're asking, why are you teaching in parables at all? Like, what's the point? Why not, for us, we're like, why not just talk straight? Why are, why are, why are you doing this? Uh, Dr. Jeff Gibbs in his commentary says, and I think this is very helpful, that when they ask the question, why do you teach in parables, you could hear it this way. Why are you now teaching in parables? Like, why didn't you do it a little bit more before? Why did you wait till this moment 
to teach in parables. Um, and, and the reason they probably asked this is because in Jesus' day, parable, parabolic teaching was, was pretty common among rabbis and, and, and teachers, and so they're wondering what caused him to wait so long. Well, in light of the parable we have, and actually in light of much of the context of the conversation, Jesus says, the reason I'm teaching in parables now is because there are a number of people who are not accepting my ministry. There are those who believe and those who don't. And so my parables are really going to distinguish the two. So he says, you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Which is a weird way of talking. But uh, it's as if uh, Jesus was reading his small catechism. Uh, Pastor Pinner, uh, in which he says, you know, Luther reminds us that uh, it's not by our own reason or strength that we come to know the Lord, uh, but the Holy Spirit is one who calls, enlightens, and, 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 and strengthens us with his gifts. Uh, Jesus says, uh, as he does also in John chapter 3, uh, the Spirit's going to do this when and where he wills. And so I preach in these parables, and there are those who hear, and they believe it. And we'll, we'll see this more when we get back to the parable of the sower and the seed. And in their lives, they produce uh, fruit, 30 uh, 60-hundred-fold uh, potential fruit. But there are those who don't hear, and there are those who are rejecting me. If you go back to chapter 12, Jesus is out performing miracles, and he's teaching some wonderful things. But for example, he does this miracle where he casts out a demon. And how is that work of Jesus received? Well, uh, the, re- the religious leaders stand there, and they say, well, he can cast out demons because he's demon-possessed. <laughs> then he goes a little bit later on, and he's teaching to the crowds, and he's performing more miracles, uh, and they're kind of rejecting him. Like, they don't know what to do with him. They're questioning everything he does. And then chapter 12 closes with his <laughs> with his own family coming to him, and we know from Mark's gospel, they're trying to silence him. They're confused by this, and they want to get him out of the way. But there's all these questions, like, why, why aren't people listening? And Jesus, the parable will explain it a little bit more, but Jesus says one of the roles of parables is to show that there are those who hear and those who don't. There's those who believe and those who won't. And those who will not believe, these parables are basically judgment upon them. Uh, whereas for you who believe, they're going to be good news. Does that make sense? Oh, it's amazing. It, uh, unbelievable. Wonderfully said. And I think we do see this in our world today. First of all, because I love I love parables, and so it's always fun for me to look at them and dig deep into them, pray them even. And mm. and one thing I've I've noticed that when you get to parables, you you have the people in faith kind of lean in more when they hear it. They're like, oh, yep, what does that mean? And for those who are interested, it's like just a lay back. Like this is such a waste of time. No, I'm not saying if someone doesn't like parables, they're not in the faith. Don't don't quote me as saying that. But I, I am <laughs> saying that that there is something to it that lent, and I'll say most people I've ever interacted with, especially in the church, lean in to parables and want to know more. And they want to know more of the history. They want to know more of the background. What is the meaning? Why is Jesus doing this? And if you read other parts of scripture, Jesus heals, they're like, okay, that's nice. But then a parable comes and it hits their brain in a different way, I would argue. Um, it hits their faith in a different way, and it cannot help but point us back to Christ. So I think, I think, I think so here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of go through um, parts of uh, 10 through 17. You've kind of thrown me off my game here, which is, which is really good for me, I, keeping me on my toes, is I'm going to read part of uh, 10, uh, 10 through 17, 
and then we'll just talk about it and because you've given us a broad overview and just want to make sure uh, that we don't miss something as we've been talking in broad stroke. So okay. here we go. Verse okay. 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and the one who have an abundance, but the one, but, excuse me, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So he it brings up this very difficult thing for us to understand in our world that people are hearing, but they don't understand. And this goes back. So this isn't just, you know, during Jesus's time, this is a historical prophecy that says, this is the way it's going to be. Why? And you know, first of all, why is it important as he's speaking to the disciples? And at the same time, if you could, why is that important for us to understand in our world today? Well, it is interesting, right? He says that I speak to them because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, they are witnessing my ministry and they are not accepting it. They're seeing me cast out demons uh, and they're calling me demonic. They're hearing me preach the good news and they're saying it's bad news. And he says, so uh, for them, these parables are being preached to kind of look, all right, if you're going to harden your heart, there's times at which God will uh, continue down that path, so to speak. And, and I got to be careful with how I say that. But if you think about Romans 9, 10, and 11, when it deals with something like uh, Pharaoh, uh, Jesus is saying these parables function kind of like uh, uh, the plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt, where God says, I'm doing all of these signs to drive you to repent. I'm doing all of these things to cause you to listen to me. And you just reject, and you just reject, and you just reject. And so there seems to be a point here at which uh, there, there's a hardening of the heart that's going to come on uh, to, to these people. And so Jesus says, these people reject me, um, and their rejection might be a step too far at one point. And, and the, parables, uh, the parables demonstrate that. And so this is then why he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 which is very significant because remember Isaiah's that wonderful scene in Isaiah six, when he's standing in the throne room of heaven and he's there as a sinner and God purifies his lips uh, with, the, with, the, with the sacrament of the coal. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then says, who will go and preach my word? And Isaiah's like, this word is great. Go ahead and send me. And then God's like, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and preach until they don't believe you. And, they don't believe. and Isaiah's like, ah, wait, how long do I have to do that? And God's like, well, until the whole thing is, until Israel is just decimated, destroyed. I say, it's like, wow, geez. But there's a sense in which this is what the preaching of the law does, right? It, it convicts, it puts us in our sinful place and it shows us our sin. And in a sense, um, it, it kind of, and almost the preaching of the law almost seals us in our sin so that we have 
no hope in and of ourselves. So you think, again, I mentioned just a moment ago, um, uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Um, but where it says, uh, Romans eleven thirteen, God has consigned all to disobedience. Why? That he might have mercy on all. So what, so what the parables are doing is Jesus is saying, look, these are showing and exposing those who are disobedient unbelievers for who they are. Uh, that's what, uh, that's what uh, God did to Pharaoh. It's what God did to Israel uh, under the ministry of Isaiah. And it confines all uh, to unbelief to a certain extent. But so that uh, in leaving us in our sins, we can recognize our need for a Savior and our need for uh, a, a, a merciful God. Um, and it will drive us back to Christ for mercy. But nonetheless, for the gospel comes the law. And in this way, the parables do function as, as sort of a harsh law uh, for some people. And it, it's almost like you hear it and you're like, but I want to hear, you know, I want, I want, right. I want to know this. And so this is once again, that, that understanding of the law gospel, um, uh, that we law gospel that we live in the understanding of God's word working that I even say, but I want to hear this shows that that you're you're in i mean you're in the faith it's much like when you right. uh, chapter 12 with 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 pastor brian davies was was talking about blasphemy against the holy spirit that if you're asking the mm -hmm. question i think i might have blasphemed the holy spirit you're probably in the faith because uh he's warning those who who are blaspheming and don't don't care or don't know and so he calls them out and that's the same thing he's doing yeah. here he's calling us out you know yeah and let me uh let me just uh, be very clear here, uh, and we'll, I think we'll get into this a little bit better when we get into the parable, but we also have to, I think what I fear that I just said is was so broad in general that we miss the fact that Jesus is talking to a very concrete situation. Right. So that when he's talking about those who are being hardened and those who don't believe, he's, he's, he has in mind the Pharisees who are calling him Satan. Yeah. Right. He has in mind those people who are rejecting him um, uh, to his face. And so that uh, what he says then next is very significant in verse 16 is he says these things that are just terrifying. But then he looks at his disciples just as he would look at all of us who are baptized. And he says, but blessed are your eyes, your eyes, yeah. for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you. Many prophets and righteous people longed for what you see and what you hear and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, to you who are um, his disciples there, who are here with me now, who are following me, who are trusting me, you're getting this because the Holy Spirit has given it to you. So blessed are you. You are not those who I'm talking about who are, who are vehemently rejecting me on the outside. But for you, this has been given. Um, and I think that for uh, your listeners and for all of us uh, who, who claim the name of Jesus Christ, or for better said, who have been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, those are the verses that are directed at you. You are blessed because Jesus has given you these words and he's told you what they mean. Jesus has found you in your sin and given you the forgiveness of your sin. Now, your sin is no better than the sins of those others who don't believe. Uh, and yet by his grace, he has called you and made you his own. He has baptized you into his kingdom. And he continues to give you the blessings of his kingdom.
Well, I think I think I think we're good to go. You basically read the rest of our verses, which is outstanding because it connects us so well. Proclamation of truth that this is who you are, like you said, the baptized, and that's you know I'm very glad we did this kind of move because 10 through 17 helps us understand the parable itself. Um, yeah. Why does Jesus do this? Well, because we're hardened sinners and there are people, he, he's just laying it out that there will be people who will not hear. Then you get a little bit into the hiddenness of God. Like, okay, well, how does that work? Like, how, how do I see that happening in our life? And why is it happening in that way? And Jesus gives us, I would say, a few more breadcrumbs to kind of understand why these things happen. He definitely doesn't give us a whole loaf of bread, that's for sure. But he gives us a little more to help understand that when we do what we do as a church, when we do what we do as Christians, why is it not working like a mathematical equation, but seems to be working in a whole different way? And we get a little glimpse of that today. So I'm just going to read uh, the whole parable. So it'd be, uh, um, let's see here. Verses 3 through 9. And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So, Pastor, right now he asks us if we have ears, which we do. So we probably should listen to him. However, it's time for our break. <laughs> so let's get to our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 13 with Pastor Bob Hiller, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 13 with Pastor Bob Hiller of Community Lutheran Church in Escondido and San Marcos, California. Pastor, I'm I I think of going in one direction and I want to get your your final um I guess you say approval. Should we go back to the basics of who and what each situation is? So uh, basics like who is the sower and what is the seed? Should we start there? What do yep. you think? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, if at the beginning of the show we mentioned uh, there's two kinds of parables. There's the kingdom parables and the piety parables. Uh, the piety parables tend to have one general major theme where the details of the parable don't matter a whole lot. You kind of just want to get to the, almost in a sense, to the moral of the story. Uh, but with the kingdom parables, the details matter. Every instance has a high level of correspondence with some point of reality, or another way of saying it is everything represents something. 
So in this particular parable, which I do believe is a kingdom parable, everything's representative of something else. So the sower represents something. The seed represents something. The types of soils represent uh, some particular thing. So uh, I do think we want to go that basic. So, so who's the sower? Let's do it. Yeah, who's the <laughs> sower? There we go. So the sower is Jesus. I think that's pretty straightforward. And in fact, when we see um, the, the work of Jesus, uh, when we see the parables, I should say, whenever there's a farmer or a sower, generally speaking, it's Jesus. And uh, when he's throwing his seed around, uh, he is carrying out his ministry of proclamation, uh, proclaiming the word of God. And what's interesting, I think it's fun, really, when you think about this parable, uh, is in a certain sense, how foolish the sower is. Yeah. Like, he's not like walking around just putting seed on the exact right places. He's Flinging that seed everywhere, <laughs> he's just throwing it around, uh, uh, hoping it, you know, letting it land wherever it may. He is he is giving this seed out abundantly, almost in a sense, uh, recklessly, and I mean that in in the best possible terms. He just has this great joy, almost of, of throwing the seed all over the place. And if, if we think of that, the sower is Christ. And the seed is his word and the ministry he is carrying out. What do we see Jesus doing? We see him going uh, all over the place, whether he's in the synagogue or in the home of a sinner, where he, whether he is uh, um, back in Nazareth or whether he is uh, off in Galilee somewhere else, if he's in the Decapolis. Everywhere he goes, Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. He's bringing the forgiveness of sins and hope and healing, and, and he's preaching the word. Um, so, so it's Jesus is just uh, uh, almost with reckless abandon going out and spreading the kingdom wherever he can. Uh, but now uh, the response to that is is really kind of where the parable goes next. And this is, um, I, I love how you said that. I heard one pastor once say that Jesus is a terrible farmer. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, he's a terrible farmer. And, and that, and that, and that really rings true for, you know, certain generations. I know for me, I don't like to garden and I guess I've made that known here in the program. Um, but it, it, you know, but, but even I understand that I don't go to my, you know, raised garden in my backyard and start throwing it there, but also then go out to my front yard and then throw that, that, that same seed yeah. onto the, onto the road. I just don't do that. Yeah. That's just not something you do. Yeah. But here we can either say that Jesus is naive which I don't think we can say that, or that Jesus, like you said, that, that this is for all, that as all yep. have, have died to sin, all have been died for, you know? And, and that's yep. an important distinction as we hear this word, they don't put into a box, if you will, but he throws it out freely and by his grace. So the sower is Jesus. Just make sure I hear your words right. The seed yep. is the word of God, the gospel. Yeah, it's the word, uh, he's going to say in verse uh, 19 later on, that it's the word of the kingdom. So it's preaching of the word. Preaching of the word. Okay, very good. Yeah. Now, reminder two, we'll go back and forth. To this point, we are on verse four. As he right. sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And reminder to our listeners that this would be a good time for you to go back and forth. If you have the Lutheran Study Bible, you have to go back and forth with your pages. So go to the other part, which is 18 through 23, specifically 
verse 19. And what is what is Jesus saying in those words in verse 4? So Jesus is saying then uh, that some of the seed goes out uh, and immediately birds devour it, which is which is symbolic of, or the, the correspondence is to uh, the work of the devil, the evil one who comes, he says in verse 19, who comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Um, this is what is sown along the path. So in other words, uh, Jesus does believe that the devil exists and that he is uh, vehemently opposed to the work of Christ. And so Jesus is saying part of the reason people are not believing, I really think this is what the parable is getting at. It's answering the question, if you have really brought the kingdom of God, why is it not accepted by everybody? Why is it um, being rejected specifically by the people who should get it, you know, the religious leaders and, and, and even your family. Like, why are they not getting it? And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to describe to you three reasons why the kingdom of God, the preaching of the word is being rejected, which is really a remarkable thing to think about, um, Brady, is is that Christ who comes, and when we, we have this view that Christ shows up in word and sacrament and flesh, he comes to us in a, in a rejectable way. Not necessarily in a way we can accept. He simply gives himself to us by grace. For those who are saved, it's entirely the work of grace and the Holy Spirit. But it's also this thing that is apparently rejectable. So some people are rejecting it because Satan comes along and gets at their heart and snatches the word away. Um, it takes him away. In fact, Luther really gets at this. If, if you if you want to look at this a little more closely, I think a great parallel to this parable. It's found in Luther's explanation um, to uh, the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and this is what, what Luther says. Here we find that the devil baits and badgers us on all sides, but especially exerts himself where the conscience and spiritual matters are concerned. His purpose is to make us scorn and despise both the word and the works of God, to tear us away from faith, hope, and love, to draw us into unbelief, false security, and stubbornness, or on the contrary, to drive us into despair, denial of God, blasphemy, and countless other abominable sins. Uh, these are the snares and nets and the real flaming darts that are venomously shot into our hearts, not by flesh and blood, but by the devil. Now, in, in Luther's catechism, he's describing the way that, that the devil will attack Christians, to be sure. Um, and I don't think there's a one-to-one -one correspondence there with, with Jesus here, because Jesus is talking about why some people won't believe. Nonetheless, what we get is a very good picture of what it is the devil is about. He wants doubt. He wants people to not believe Christ. He wants blasphemy. He wants to draw people into unbelief. And so he's going to do it by any number of means. But we see it happening all the time in our world. Uh, this is why I am more and more convinced that this parable is very significant for us. Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. As we look in our world right now, what we're finding is uh, the Word of God is being preached. People are getting out there proclaiming the good news, uh, and the devil comes along and undermines it. He undermines the ministry of the Church. He attacks the Church, uh, both from within and without. Uh, he is uh, working very hard uh, to, to you know, give the Church a bad public relations image, um, so that when the Church goes out to preach and try and show some mercy and kindness, it's immediately rejected. Uh, why? Because we know what the church is really like. We know that they're just a bunch of bigots, uh, that they don't love anybody, uh, that their message is full of, uh, of hatred and oppression and all of this. Uh, that's 
that's what the devil would have the world believe about the church. Uh, and in this way, tries to immediately rip away anything that the church would proclaim uh, from the ears and the hearts of people. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that, Pastor, because it, it, it doesn't give us an excuse um, for bad behavior, you know, for sinning that, oh, well, you know, yeah, we sin, but you know what? Everyone sins and therefore we don't, you know, uh, why are you, why are you on, why are you against the church so much? You know, we sin just like everybody else. Like, no, that's, that's time for us to repent when we do have those yeah. black eyes that we receive yeah. and, and, and you, you bring that together so well that we have to realize that there is an enemy out there. We spoke about this in chapter 12, um, that yes, the enemy is out there, but Jesus binds the strong man. I mean, he might, he can only do as much as God allows. And so this is not a matter of the devil and Jesus are going at it. And we're not sure who's going to win. I mean, this is not like a, a, a Kansas city chiefs and Buffalo bills game. I mean, this is different. This is not the same thing. Um, you know, Oh man, what a game anyways, but it, it, it definitely, this is more like, this is more like uh, uh, a Vikings and the NFL playoff kind of thing. Yeah, right. One yeah, never has a chance. It's just right? not going to happen. The... It's just not going to happen. So it's it is it yeah. Vikings win the Super Bowl is literally throwing seeds on the road. I mean that's literally what's happening here. But anyways, so he he definitely you know Jesus has the upper hand. I mean this is he crushes the skull of the devil. I mean this is Genesis yep. three all the way throughout Scripture type stuff. Um, but it definitely is a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. And, and it just happens behind the scenes and we have to, um, continually to be faithful, to know that there is an enemy out there. And sometimes this happens, doesn't stop us from repenting, doesn't stop us from preaching. Um, but it does show what's happening behind the closed curtain, if you will. Anything else and, on and Brady, uh, if I could just real quick. I think this is also why we do continue to preach because the devil's work is to is to attack uh, the word itself. And so, what the devil wants to do is he wants to ruin your faith by causing you to ask the question: Did God really say? I mean, he's not very creative. He has one way of working. Been doing it since the garden. Did God really say? Right. So. Uh, when, when Jesus comes on the scene and is casting out demons, they're like, "Did that re was that really Jesus, or was that just Satan pulling one over our eyes?" Like he creates confusion and uncertainty. Uh, so when the devil comes at you uh, to try and draw you away from Christ, what he's going to do is he's going to attack the gospel. Did God really say your sins are forgiven? Did your baptism really count? Did did he really mean it? Or or when he goes after the law, did God really say? Uh, that marriage is between a man and a woman. Did God really say there's only one way to God? Did, did God really say he made the world in only seven days? And he's just going to pick and snap at every single thing that God has clearly said. And so our consciences are only ever going to rest when we have the truth of Christ preached into our ears. And when the devil comes along and says, did God really say your sins are forgiven? You can say yes. Every Sunday through my pastor's mouth, yes. Every Sunday when he puts his body and blood on my lips, yes. When my head was soaked in baptism, of course he said it. But it's that word that drives the devil away, and it is nothing uh, uh, within us. It, it's got to be the word preached into our ears, and that's why the sower doesn't stop sowing. So as we move forward, the the next, so we, we I mean, 
one, one, that thing that drives through all of this is that the devil's always at work and, 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 and the doubt is, is everywhere <laughs> that the devil wants to put into our minds and our hearts. And with that comes this reality of it makes sense why there's some people, I mean, we see this play out in the world, why some people that will preach to all their lives and they never believe, or God, you know, the Holy Spirit softens their heart to believe later on in life. It, it doesn't give us any excuses, but it makes us realize that when we preach and we proclaim why some will believe and why some won't, <laughs> and that it plays out the way he says it is. And strangely, yep. it gives us a kind of, not a comfort in the sense of that people don't believe, but it does make us realistic about yep. when we do have a church in Escondido and San Marcos and Sartell, Minnesota, that we're not, there's no guarantees of saying, well, if you just did this, this, and this, and this, everything will work together. And why is that important that we have that realistic view from the beginning? Well, because, I mean, think about this. If Jesus was running your church, which I'm willing he is, but let's say Jesus was the pastor of your church, uh, and he showed up to start preaching, uh, the assumption is that if he was doing it, he'd do it right, and everyone would show up, right? I mean, that's the assumption that I think Jesus is actually speaking to here. But it actually, Jesus says, if I show up and preach at your church, some people are going to run away. Some people are going to reject. Some people are going to get excited and then burn out. Some people are going to come and start to love uh, what the world offers more than what I have to say. And some people are going to produce 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit. In other words, he's simply describing. We don't know the whys and the hows and all of this. He's just simply saying, look, here's how it's going to go. devil's going to take some away. That's what will happen. Uh, some people will love uh, comfort more than, than suffering, and they'll leave. Uh, some people will love uh, the world more than me, and so they'll leave. Uh, but what it reminds us to do then, and what it, 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 it um, encourages, I think, exhorts us to do then, as the church, is to keep preaching the word, keep staying faithful, baptize and teach. That's what we're sent to do. Uh, and there's no reason to back off, because as we keep doing it, Christ's word will produce fruit. It absolutely will. When uh, We spend so much of our time, I think, looking at the fruit it's not producing, or looking at the other soils, that we miss the great joy of what the Spirit's actually accomplishing among us. Um, so don't don't give up. Don't back down. Uh, don't stop. Uh, keep preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified, uh, and and recognize that these are the results you're going to see. So let's let's uh, um let's lay this out even a little more in verses five and six. Okay. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately. They sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Now, Pastor, I think I'm going to read uh, in verse 20 just what, what Jesus says. For as what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet as he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So the, those are the words of Jesus. This is one. This yep. is the explanation. How would you unpack that? Well, uh, first thing uh, I would say is that I think that this soil is uh, best exemplified by St. Peter. <laughs> okay. 
which I think is, is somewhat significant um, uh, that you do see Peter do this later on, don't you? Yeah. Uh, when Jesus yeah. is on trial and uh, Peter's outside warming his hands by the fire and the very intimidating junior high girls show up and start quizzing him on if he, if he knew Jesus and he denies it because he knows that if he's associated with Jesus, he might be next on the cross. Uh, and so there is a sense in which uh, we see this exemplified in the life of the disciples because they fear suffering more than they love Christ. Uh, now, the reason I want to bring that up is because, hey, is, is Peter redeemed? Of course he's redeemed. Is, is Peter forgiven? Yes, absolutely he's forgiven. In fact, we see the threefold redemption of him uh, at the end of John's Gospel, when Peter goes forth and begins to boldly proclaim this, even himself suffering, uh, uh, we believe, upside down on a cross uh, when he died. And yet, I don't want to sort of then dismiss what Jesus says here by saying, no, oh, this could happen, but don't worry about it. Because if you go to a book like the book of Hebrews, there you see uh, the author of Hebrews warning those Christians, probably Jewish uh, Christians in the early church who are considering leaving because of the suffering they're enduring, warning them that, look, there is a point at which you can, you can walk away and actually never come back. Uh, you could leave the Lord uh, and then have uh, no hope. This is a real threat. So Jesus tells us, uh, if you deny me before the world, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So it, it, it's a very uh, intimidating uh, and, and sort of frightening reality that the Scriptures lay before us. But again, I would say that if that intimidates you, if that frightens you, if that opens your eyes to a reality of, of the fact that you know you might reject this thing, and it makes you anxious, as I said before, go back to church on Sunday. Hear the good news that Christ will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That you are the one baptized and purchased uh, with his blood. and He has made you his own. Now, there are those that we all know in our families, uh, that we all know from our churches, who have grown up in the church, been confirmed, uh, confessed the faith, loved going, and then one thing or another took them away. Uh, uh, the hardships of the world. Uh, the hardships of standing up for their faith were just too much, uh, and they wanted to be uh, appreciated by the world more than they wanted to confess Christ. Um, and that and that leads to apostasy. And I think that's what Jesus is warning against here. Recognize that reality is there um, and be ready to fight against it. And it also it, well, it gives us a reality check. Uh, yep. Reality check of how often we can think if I did this and this and this, like for example, okay, the problem is the confirmation program wasn't done well. That's why the kid confesses faith and then later on denies it completely. And I have no doubt that there might be true in some cases, you know, I don't know. I don't have any examples by any means of just saying to me that happens, but also the, the devil's the one who works in us that will have our kids grow in the faith and we take them to church and everything else. And then the devil's like, you know what? You didn't do that very well, and which is a true statement, you know, and um, or that the reason why they aren't is because of you or you taught Sunday school and the right. reason you didn't teach it very right. well or pastor, you didn't preach it very well. And all right. those things we have to repent over, no doubt about it. But this does bring a reality check of saying, one, we thank God for whoever comes through those doors because we do not know if next week they'll be here. Right. Secondly, that we preach faithfully and we repent when we're not preaching as faithfully as we can, not teaching as well as we can, and then we leave it at the foot of the cross instead of 
having to come back into our backs and, and whisper in our ears, right? He's just telling us, listen, these things will happen. Calm down, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Um, and, and, and that's what we cling to repent, give it to Jesus in that forgiveness in Christ, move on. Um, because the devil's going to start whispering again. He might yell in your ear and, and he's telling you right now, don't let him do that because these things will happen, but keep preaching your thoughts. I think the other thing that worries me is that, uh, the church can capitulate to this, but in a way that looks very churchy. And that is to say, we, we fear so much the rejection of the world that we work hard to start to look like it. Uh, and we start yeah. to try and uh, uh, become a more worldly, attractive church. So we take up the causes of the culture as opposed to proclaiming the kingdom of God and trusting Christ's word to do its work. Uh, we begin to um, mirror, emulate, sound like, act like, uh, thing like the culture. Um, and in this way, then, uh, with very Christian trappings, we find ourselves uh, abandoning the faith. Let's keep moving forward to the next portion, verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And that would coordinate with, I have to apologize, I haven't looked at this as well, verse 22. That's all right. Verse 22, correct? Am I looking at this right, Pastor? Mm -hmm. As for yep. what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I think this goes exactly what you just said. We try to look like the yeah, world. Yeah, I think it fits better with that one. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. So go ahead. Break that one down for us a little bit. Yeah, and here again we see maybe the account of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus uh, and, and says, uh, Hey, Jesus, uh, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, just keep the commandments and you're set. And he's like, oh, I've done that since I was a kid. And Jesus is like, well, that's impressive. Well, go sell all your stuff and get in line. And the guy leaves bad because uh, he loved his riches too much. Uh, he didn't want to abandon those things. Um, I, I do think that this is um, a great challenge for us again in the church <laughs> to say we hear the word, we receive the word. Uh, we don't want to give up the comforts of our life. We don't want to give up our reputations. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to uh, have to um, um, lose face in society. We want to be respected and welcomed into all the society's things. Um, and Jesus is saying that's just another way of, of losing it, of walking away. Um, do you love, uh, you can't serve two masters. You'll serve God or money. Uh, you'll serve God or reputation. Uh, you'll serve God or you'll serve self. Um, so for, for, you know, Again, I think Jesus, really, I think the parable is describing the variety of responses to Jesus uh, throughout his ministry from those who don't believe. And yet what worries me is how much we in the church are tempted by the same thing. And these are, these are really warning signs. Uh, this parable really is a warning to us uh, to stay diligent in, in receiving the word, lest we give into the same temptation. And I like how we... He speaks about it because it is something where when it talks about um, the end, you know, the end, the end times where the, you know, the, the weeds and, and, and those who are bearing good fruit will be, will be separated. And they're like, hey, should we get rid of, uh, should we get rid of those? Nah, then you'll take away some good ones. You know, this is extreme paraphrasing of what scripture says. Um, but it does show us this is what we live in. The thorns are all around us and how easy yep. it can be. Yep. 
to have these thorns take over and say, hey, you know, uh, that didn't go well. So obviously God's not with me. So I'm just going to deny it. And like you said, there's a point where God kind of lets us go. And, um, and that's not good. We, we, we want, you know, repent and, and stay with the Lord. And because he's not leaving, but he's not necessarily going to grab us again. And so it's good for us to continually be reminded of the surroundings we have and then even closer cling to him. Any thoughts? Exactly. And and I think uh, one more thought on this this particular soil. You, you remember James's words, James 4, friendship with the world is, is enmity with God. Uh-huh. Um, uh, there's a point at which, you know, you... I'm sure we've all had certain friendships where uh, a friend really enjoyed hanging out with us for a time and, and then they found someone they thought was cooler and kind of left us behind and rejected us. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've never had that happen to me, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to go through. Uh, and yet, I, I think what James points out and what Jesus is pointing out is there are those who do that to God. Say, God, you were good for me for a while. Um, but I just love the stuff in the world a lot more. It's a lot more attractive to me. It's a lot more fun for me. It's a lot more interesting to me. And you kind of made my life harder. I don't know if I really want anything to do with that. And so they, they leave God behind. Uh, and that is, and that is it's just a very sad reality. And I like the language. Uh, the thorns grew up and choke them. Yep. Because there, there, yep. is that, there is that reality of, when we don't see Christianity for what it is, the forgiveness of sins on account of Jesus, the rest, the peace, the, uh, the assurance of, 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 of carrying us. When we don't see Christianity that way, yeah, it chokes you big time because the world does not yep. forgive. The world does not give grace and, and, and Christ does. And so it literally is a choking for air just to find some kind of comfort. And that's what our Lord gives to us. So, Pastor, we have about yeah, three sure. minutes left in our time. Uh, I'll, read, I'll read the rest, eight and nine, and we'll, we'll finish up. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Once again, I have ears. I want to hear this. <laughs> so, <Great. but> it, <laughs> so we see this good soil. What, what's the good soil? How would, you, um, how would you define that for people who hear this? Terrible. So remember, uh, remember Elijah. He's 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 just uh, run away uh, after uh, having a great battle on a, on a mountain with uh, the, the prophets of Baal, and he's made a lot of very important people angry, and he, he's sure they're coming to kill him. Uh, and so he goes off to hide in a cliff, and he says, "God, you can kill me now uh, before they do. You can take my life, and then we can all just kind of die happy. I'm the only one who trusts in you. I'm the only one who's left." And God's like, "Dude." Get over yourself there, Elijah. Good job. Yes, we're happy about the bail thing. But listen, uh, there's like 7,000 people I still have in my hand, and I'm not letting them go. Uh, in other words, God always has his remnant of people, or to use the language of Isaiah, uh, God's work never returns void. And so this wild sower is out throwing his seeds all over the place, and it is facing a lot of rejection, and yet it still hits ears and hearts that produce faith. And this, uh, dear listener, is, is what is being given to you even now as you hear Pastor Finneran uh, uh, continually bring us back to the great mercies of Jesus Christ, uh, that he has died for you. He does forgive you. He has washed away your sins. 
when you have followed the way of the devil, when you've gone after the world or you've loved the things of the flesh more than the things of God, those are the very sins Christ has died for. And you are forgiven for those things so that now with that forgiveness implanted in your heart, the Holy Spirit is starting to work word, uh, work uh, fruit in your life for the service and love of your neighbor. Whether you even see it or not, it's just producing it because that's what Christ does. Uh, you have a Holy Spirit living and active in you who loves uh, and serves the neighbor. And so uh, this fruit will come, uh, and you will see it with the disciples after the resurrection of Christ. You will see it with those who trust in Jesus. Uh, you will see it uh, take place when faith is, is living itself out in love. Uh, so Christ will accomplish those things through his saving work. His word will not return void. He who has ears, let him hear. Pastor Hiller of Community Lutheran Church in Escondido and San Marcos, California, bringing us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 13 and beginning our time in parables in a powerful way. Pastor Hiller, thank you for bringing us his gifts. God bless you. Thanks for having me. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>